We recently launched Liberation Martial Arts Online for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free or perhaps one that came directly from us. Thanks to Everbussy and Alan Griffith for signing up and Ray Fong for supporting the show. If you would like to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online or you just want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can find uncut versions of our shows also on Patreon. This is Sam. And this is Fight Study. This episode was produced by S.H., New Guy, and M. Shelton. Hello! So unfortunately for this fight study, due to some schedule conflicts, Jason couldn't make it. So it'll just be me flying solo on this one. But since it's hard for me to talk to myself for a long time about a single fight, what I'll do instead is cover a bunch of fights from UFC Vera vs. Cruz then preview some of the fights from UFC 278. First, let's go over Cruz versus Vera, where we saw Vera finish Cruz with a brutal head kick in the fourth round. Something I expected was for Cruz to be winning on points. Cruz landed 100 total strikes versus Vera's 63. He also landed two takedowns. This was definitely a fight where a version of Cruz could have won on points. Cruz allowed Vera to come in and then pulled the trigger first and landed quick shots, then evaded. But to also control Vera's movement, he would strategically blitz to get Vera moving back. He'd also throw hard kicks to the head to make Vera respect his power. So what's counterintuitive is Cruz had the most success when he wasn't fighting like himself and standing in front of Vera and throwing hard shots. He also found a lot of success attacking Vera with Vera's own signature move, which is the calf kick. What didn't work well for Cruz is when he tried to evade, especially to his right. I've talked about this previously, how orthodox fighters have a tendency to evade to the right just because of the way their feet are positioned. We saw this with Kai Carl France running onto a left kick from Brandon Moreno. As much as Cruz likes to fight from both stances, He's primarily an orthodox fighter, and he tends to escape to his right. But with all that said, everyone's been trying to take Cruz out as he evades, especially with kicks. What made Cruz great was his vision. He either saw the shots coming or anticipated the shot and was already moving out of the way before the shot was being thrown. So what's changed? People will say age, and yes, Cruz is older especially compared to other Bantamweights. But what exactly does older mean when it comes to Cruz? If we were to get granular, outside of his comeback fight with Casey Kenny, his cardio and speed look great, including in this fight. Yet something has definitely changed. But it's not so much his cardio. It's not so much how fast he's moving. I look at how Cruz got dropped in round one against Vera, and I'm like, how did he not see that coming? Then I look at how Cruz got finished at the end, and because Vera 
just switched to southpaw, you knew that left high kick was coming. Cruz realized he had to get out of the way of something, but he went the wrong way. Instead of moving away from the kick, he went towards the kick. And in his prime, I feel like he would have read that correctly and moved the other way. I think that's why, even though everyone knows the way Cruz evades, leaves them open to wide hooks and kicks, he used to be able to avoid them because of his quick decision making. So his physical speed is still there from what it looks like to me. But what's changed is the speed of his decision making. It's like his brain is fast enough to know something's coming, but not fast enough to decide which way to go. So he just goes. And most of the time, he doesn't get caught because he's a moving target. But when he does get caught, it's bad. Then you also have to factor in all the shots he's taken over the years. Not just in fights, but also during training. He used to be known for having an iron head, but now his chin is pretty worn out. You also have to consider all the eye damage he suffered fighting for the UFC. Lastly, you have to factor in all the damage he took in this fight before the final KO. How recovered was he before he took that final head kick? I think he was aware enough to know something was coming, but his automatic reflex was to go to the right. And he got caught, not only going to his right, but was caught out of position. But you also have to give credit to Vera in not only switching stances, but constantly throwing front kicks to make him think about that threat and not the left high kick. As far as his decision-making and his chin, I feel like Cruz is aware of these problems, which is why he's fighting differently. Throwing stiff high kicks, standing in the pocket more and brawling, and rather than darting forward than evading, he blitzes forward. This is enough to keep him not only in the game, but successful. The problem is, if he wants to break into the top five, it means fighting five round main events. If Vera versus Cruz was three rounds, Cruz would have won. But now with a highly susceptible chin, how does he avoid the shots that put him out for 25 minutes? Against Vera, seemed like the Cruz camp read correctly that Vera has a tendency to move straight back and that he doesn't attack off the back foot. The problem was, by the fourth round, Vera stopped backing up. He realized he could walk through Cruz's punches. I think this is why Cruz started the fight so aggressively, to get that respect early. But what happens if future opponents begin to disrespect Cruz's space starting from round one? We can talk about the weaknesses of Cruz's style, but he's doing a lot better than other fighters from his era. Look at Frankie Edgar. One last factor as to why Cruz is getting hit more is because these younger fighters are getting better, especially at Bantamweight. Stylistically, Vera was his easiest fight to break into the top five other than TJ Dillashaw. Other than that, it's all monsters. Next, let's talk about Nate Landwehr versus David Onama. It was both a great fight and a terrible fight. It was great in how back and forth it was, with so many close finishes. It was bad in how both fighters nearly gave the fight away with bad decisions. Landwehr won the decision, mostly on luck, cardio, and wrestling. Onama, on the other hand, can crack, even when he's dead tired. His issue is his cardio. 
They both make bad choices in a fight, though. This is a performance that proves you can have a fun fight without being impressed by either fighter. Next, let's talk about Yasmin Haulegi versus Yasmin Lucindo. Haulegi won the decision mostly on experience, despite both fighters being very young. Neither fighter had a takedown threat to add another dimension to the fight, which is something they'll want to improve if they want to be champions in this division. Lucindo showed a good sense for when to attack and when an opponent is in range. Also, great cardio despite throwing so many power shots. Halegi, however, was the one to impress me. She has what Jason calls great pocket presence. She was good at going first and third while avoiding Lucindo's big shots. Lucindo tends to wing her punches wide, which makes them easier to see and block. I think she'd benefit from a bit more patience and taking a bit off of her punches. But Halegi already has that. She has the precision, she doesn't overthrow her punches, and she's accurate. Really good signs for a prospect. Both showed great things out there. Halegi was just a little older and just a little better. Next, we have Azamat Mirzakhanov versus Devin Clark. Mirzakhanov beat Clark by third round TKO. Whenever Clark fights, you hear this narrative that Clark has everything it takes to be a champion. He just doesn't have a fighter's mentality, which is a weird narrative and a weird diss on the guy. It's not like Clark is a great fighter who doesn't want to be there. He's a good fighter, but not a great fighter. His striking is good, but not great. His wrestling for MMA is good, but not great. He's big, but not that big. But his defense is his weakness, whether striking or grappling. Mirzakhanov is the better striker and eventually found a shot. Clark doesn't need a mental coach. He just needs to fight better to beat the better guys. What he hasn't shown are the tools to fight better. Next, we have Priscilla Cachuera versus Ariane Lipsky. It ended with Cachuera winning by TKO in round one in little over a minute. I really didn't like this fight because it was ugly without any of the drama of Landwehr versus Onama. They both stood there and traded hooks until one of them fell. I'm sure both camps were like, that's not what we trained for, but that's what happened. This isn't good, especially as far as raising your stock as a fighter, but also for your longevity. Finally, let's talk about Gerald Mearshart versus Bruno Silva. Mearshart beat Silva by third round guillotine choke, but he also dropped Silva before that choke. Mearshart looked better in this fight after switching camps to Sanford MMA, which has now rebranded to Killcliffe FC. This must be their 12th name change. But this also shows that a lot of the older camps like Rufus, which was Mearshart's old camp, TriStar, Jackson Wink, and even to some extent AKA aren't what they used to be. AKA still has Islam Makachev, but now it's a lot of the younger camps that are doing well. I think a lot of this is about how MMA changes and each new camp represents a newer system. I think American Top Team keeps doing well because it uses a boxing gym model where every coach can run things the way they want to. But back to Mearshart. Despite looking better, his footwork is still very awkward and he relies on leaning back as a defense. Bruno Silva also looked really bad in this fight, especially with his constant stance switching and that's when he got dropped with a hook as he was stance switching. 
They both had awkward footwork. It was just that Silva's footwork was more awkward than Mearshart's. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. Now let's talk about the upcoming rematch between Kamaru Usman versus Leon Rocky Edwards. Their first fight was in 2015, where we saw Usman beat Edwards by unanimous decision. Usman continuously got the takedowns, and the times they were striking, Usman landed the harder shots. For this to go differently for Rocky, he has to use his versatility and patience to his advantage. Also to maintain that distance and make Usman respect that distance. Usman likes to change stances, but can have some problems against Southpaws. I put problems in quotes because no one's beaten Usman in the UFC, so it's hard to say what it looks like for him to lose, but we have seen him get hit. I don't even know if it's a good idea for Rocky to try to mix in some takedown attempts because Usman has shown that he can turn those attempts against you. And if you faint level changes, but don't commit to any takedowns, he can read that and kick you. Usman doesn't need any special preparation or game planning to beat Edwards. That's why he has to be the favorite, because he already has all the strengths to beat Rocky, and we've already seen that. Usman even rocked Edwards in their first fight. What's unfortunate is we haven't seen Edwards against Hamza Chimaev or Colby Covington to gauge how much better his defensive wrestling has gotten. We've also seen Rocky fade in fights. But Rocky was willing to fight all the tough wrestlers in the division. Maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe his wrestling is that much better. But Usman doesn't need wrestling to beat Edwards. That's why Usman is the heavy favorite. He has been so dominant, I am now just curious to see how someone beats him. What do you have to do? Since they last fought, Edwards hasn't lost either. But he's mostly won by decision. Beating Usman by decision is a harder task than beating him by KO, in my opinion. Next, let's talk about Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Costa is the younger, more durable fighter. Rockhold is far from durable. He's a big, tough striker, but if you look at his UFC run, he doesn't really knock people out. He tends to take people down and beat them with ground and pound, but he's not a wrestler. He tends to take people down who aren't expecting a takedown or just through his size and strength, which is to say wrestling is not a strength, nor is knocking people out. He also doesn't have much of a chin left. And his last time out, his cardio didn't look all that great. Costa has been inactive, but not as inactive as Rockhold, who last fought in 2019. In Costa's last fight, he couldn't make weight, and in the last minute, the fight had to be changed to 205. Costa is also now training at home rather than with fight ready. Is he training that hard? I don't know. He looked out of shape in his last fight with Marvin Vittori. But does he need to be in shape to beat Rockhold? Probably not. 
Rockhold, however, is a much bigger fighter. Is it possible he can take Costa down and bully him? It's possible. But how out of shape is Costa to allow that to happen? This fight is also at middleweight, and it's been a while since either fighter had to make that weight. This is also only three rounds. So Rockhold only has to avoid being touched for three rounds. Rockhold is now also with Jason Perillo. But I don't know if that fixes Rockhold's defensive vulnerabilities. Perillo tends to improve people's offensive boxing. Lastly, let's talk about Jose Aldo versus Mehrab Devalishvili. In his prime, fighting a good wrestler with decent striking was easy work for Aldo. Now, I don't know. Aldo doesn't have a great gas tank, and Devalishvili can put on a pace, especially if they're only fighting for three rounds. It's also been a long time since Aldo has fought someone who will attempt as many takedowns as Devalishvili. The thing people have forgotten, however, is that Marlon Marias nearly finished Devalishvili in the first round. Part of the downfall for Marias is that he gassed himself out trying to finish Devalishvili. If Aldo stays patient, he can KO Devalishvili. But the thing with Devalishvili is, if he takes you down, you stay down. Aldo has to maintain his ideal range and prevent Devalishvili from lining him up for a takedown. A lot of this will be dictated by how Aldo controls the rhythm and the angles. It's hard to shoot a takedown while adjusting your feet. It's also hard to shoot takedowns while you're off balance. Aldo also doesn't keep his hands low like Marias. You can't just beat Aldo with wrestling alone. You also have to show striking acumen. Either Devalishvili will show us that, or he will show us that you no longer need that to take Aldo down. All right, that's it for this episode. If you like what we do, support us on Patreon. We also have the Liberation Martial Arts Program if you want to train with us from wherever you are. There's a lot of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory, believe it or not. You can also find that on our Patreon. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes. With all that said, thanks for listening.